0: hello everyone and welcome to the shameless sex podcast this is your bonus episode i'm here with myself with april with legend
1: hi hello and then we
0: also have james palacio here uh also known as fiona saint james Uh, and james uh we had the pleasure of meeting at the sex expo in brooklyn which we go to every single september And he sent us his new book, his memoir called The Life and Crimes of Fiona St. James. And he is here to tell us all about his life. Uh, all the adventures he's been on as um, an escort. He's also done uh, erotic massage and massage work. He has also done drag and hence the name um, Fiona St. James. And he'll talk a little more about how he got into that. So before we dive in, I will also read you the bio so you know a little more about James Palacio. Born and raised in New York City, this Spanish and Italian Bronx-born native entered the world of female impersonating and escorting in the 90s. His drag persona, Fiona St. James, has experienced success in nightclubs worldwide as well as being the 15th elected and still the only Latina Empress of the Imperial Court of New York. He's appeared in film on Too Wong Fu, thanks for everything Julie Newmar, love that movie, Stonewall, Ugly Betty, and Orange is the New Black, and his most memorable role was playing the resident prison tranny bitch on the hit HBO series Oz (laughs) for five of the six seasons. Love it. His adventures in dragon escorting inspired him to write his memoirs where he shared stories about pushing boundaries and raising eyebrows sexually, professionally, and personally with no shame for over 30 years. To learn more, visit FionaStJames.com. That's F-I-O-N-A-S-T-J-A-M-E-S.com. Welcome, James, aka Fiona. We love having you on the show. Hola, James. Hey,
2: gals. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here. Yay. We're excited to
0: have you here, and our listeners love everything from learning to hearing real life experiences in, in the realms of sexuality, especially in worlds that they might not be immersed in themselves. Um, so, can you tell our listeners? I know you have a whole memoir on this, um, but just a little bit about how you, a little bit about your journey, about how you got into the world of Escorting Dragon to the life that you're in today?
2: Well, you know, the interesting part with that was it was never anything that I even thought I wanted to do. But, you know, growing up in New York City, Hollywood always glamorizes prostitution. So like I remember being a child and, you know, seeing these movies with high-class escorts and mink coats and limousines. And it just kind of was appealing to me because, you know, who doesn't like material things, right? So I at the age of 20, I was home and I was looking at the back of the Village Voice and I saw an ad for an escort agency. And I thought, you know, I believe that everyone should try everything at least once in life. So at the age of 20, I answered this escort ad. I went and had to easiest, most amazing experience with this very nice man that sexually speaking, we didn't even really do much of anything other than, you know, kind of jerk each other off and touch each other. And I just remember that feeling of walking down the corridor of the Marriott Marquis with $200 in my pocket and thinking, oh my God, this was the easiest, most wonderful thing I'd ever done. And in my mind, I pretty much thought I was done with it. Fast forward two years later, I graduate college, and there's that question, now what are you going to do with your life? And I had just started dressing in drag a couple of months before that, that particular summer. Again, not for any reason. It was just sort of accidental where I'd been going to Fire Island, and I'd seen all these drag queens, and I would say, you know, I'm pretty with makeup. I could probably do that. So I started doing drag that summer just I competed in a contest. I didn't win, but five days later, I had my first paid professional booking and realized, oh, I can make a shitload of money doing this. And I'm really kind of pretty. So at that point, I needed to move out of my parents' house because, you know, I, I'm gay, I'm dressing in drag. And my father, even though he knew all of that, we had words. So I decided, well, I need to make money fast. So I went back to the Village Voice, saw an escort ad an agency looking for escorts. And I answered that one, met with the guy, the the madam or sir, for that matter. And that very first night, I had my first escort client. And lo and behold, it was the same man that I had been with two years before. (laughs) The guy named Danny, he was still at the Marriott marquee. He was still (laughs) as ugly as sin. (laughs) He was still easy and breezy. And I was like, Oh my God! it was like really kind of wonderful that my first official experience was with the same man that I had done two years before and and it was it was magical I mean magical because uh, you know he it wasn't anything that uh that that suddenly I was unnerved or, and anything that made me feel bad about anything. it was just this wonderful experience, and then fast forward the next like three, four weeks. I was like several clients today and in a matter of like five weeks, three, four weeks, I think I had like six, seven grand cash in my pocket and I moved out of my parents' house and I've sort of been doing it, you know, on and off and pretty full time for the most part ever since. Mm-hmm. So that like in, in both cases, it was sort of like I never thought, oh, I want to be an escort or I want to do drag. It just all sort of happened. And I was like, this is actually what I'd love to do.
1: You're like, why didn't they offer a course on this in college? Actually, I wouldn't need that.
2: <laughs> it's true. Well, you know, I had I had been wearing makeup my whole life, really, as a guy, because I'd been doing uh, community theater since I was a teenager. And like, I've always been what they call like the pretty boy. You know, I'm not very big. I'm like five, four and a half, one thirty five. 135. So I've always been the smooth, cute boyish type. And I was always the one that like, people would say, oh, excuse me, miss. And then say, oh, my God, I'm Sorry. I didn't realize you were a guy. And that would happen, especially like during intermission, you know, when I would be doing whatever plane, I'd go use the men's zoom, but I'd have makeup on, boy makeup, but makeup nonetheless, and that would happen. So I think I always knew I was pretty with makeup on. And, you know, I'm one of these queens that I love women. Like most of my best friends are women. You know, my two best friends are my sisters and my mother. And uh, so th- when I dress up, I'm all about wanting to look as pretty as possible and pay homage to women because I think women rock and most men are a pain in my ass, frankly. <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> and drag can be so empowering. And I'm, I, I know that you love escorting as well. And on both, both of those, I think extracurricular activities slash you're getting paid to do both as well are empowering for most. But can you tell our listeners what you love about escorting and also what you love about drag? Because you can tell you have a passion for it. And I would love to see you in drag.
2: Oh my God, you guys have to come to my next show when you're in New York. So, okay, let's start with the escorting. You hit the nail on the head. It is the most empowering thing to actually be with someone and get paid for your time and, uh, and, and in my case, I think because I'm such a specific type, uh, the the men that hire me are usually exactly what I like anyway. They tend to be the opposite of me. So they, I think there's this misconception that anyone who has to hire an escort is it, because they're ugly or they're this or they're that and they can't get it any other way. Well, honey, I'm here to tell you, 85% of my clients, I would give it to them for free. Mm-hmm. Now, granted... Well well let's not let's not go that far yeah but but apart from the fact that the the money part of it is empowering and it's you know you're providing a service uh, it, it's I've been fortunate where you know I've never had my life in danger, I've never had any client try to assist me or like not pay me, and like some of the hottest men I have been with have paid me. And some of the hottest sex I've had have been with clients. So so to me, I'm kind of having my cake and eating it too, or having my cake and they're eating me too, usually. (laughs) Because I am after all the bottom in case you didn't figure that out. And, And for you listeners who don't know the whole terminology of top bottom let me educate you. The top is the one that does the fucking, if I'm to
0: The, the doer. Yeah.
2: Yes. And the bottom is the receiver. Mm-hmm. So as the receiver, you know, I'm fortunate that nine out of 10 escort clients, I would probably do anyway. Mm-hmm. And, and in terms of my massage work, uh, I would say about 75% of my clients are massage calls. Mm-hmm. So, and, and to me, that's almost a little easy because I do give you a legitimate massage. I mean, I have my massage table and everything, just, you know, the last 10 minutes, turnover and then, you know, happy ending. Who doesn't love a happy ending, right? Me and knee are tight, I've always said. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, and so so I do that, but honestly, like, whatever they want, I'm going to do. So for for me, I love it because it's me providing uh, therapy for a lack of a better term. Like I feel escort work is like doing sex therapy Mm -hmm. and, you know, and and also in my case, I hate to say this, but 95% of my clients are identify as straight married men. Mm -hmm. And the unfortunate reality is that I think too many people after they get married think that that means, okay, now we don't have to have sex. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I hear this from my clients all the time where their wives don't necessarily put out, Mm -hmm. which I'm like, okay, well, better for me because then they come (laughs) and I get to make money.
0: And they're also people who um, might be closeting their hetero flexibility or their bisexuality or, you know, they might identify as straight, but they're an in interest in exploring beyond the, you know, society's rules of the straight realm. And so it becomes the, you know, a closeted secretive thing as opposed to a thing that is, um, is you know, embraced. And so, yeah, it is a therapeutic service on, on all fronts, whether it's just some providing pleasure or orgasm for someone or connection. I mean, we had... I don't know. Oh, this I don't know. I think by the time this comes out, we already record with Alice Little, who is a legal um, sex worker in the brothel, one of the brothels in uh, in Nevada, and um, and she was saying so much of her stuff just is about connection and intimacy. People are just craving for it. So, know, yeah, and I'm sure it's different for everyone in terms of why people are going to different uh, forms of sex work. So, but yeah, hats off to you. We're big fans of all forms of sex work as long as you know, sex workers choosing it for themselves and so what so with drag um so for folks I mean they've already heard you talking about uh, dressing up in um in clothing that is a female impersonation I guess in can you tell us this is what it feels like to do drag like what do you I know you said that you you love more the makeup and that whole thing and but you've done film and other aspects of acting and um and showbiz but what does it feel like to go and do drag
2: Well, you know what? The the most amazing thing with that is I think any evolved human being should embrace both their masculine and feminine side. So for me, I feel like the fact that I dress up makes me that much more complete Mm -hmm. as as just a human being who, you know, who embraces both sides of me. Honey, I'm not the butchest thing on the planet. I admit that, <laughs> but it's okay. I don't have to be because, uh, you know, the whole drag thing just, it, it's really just a further extension of who I am. So, But it enables me to go that extra mile, you know, because you, you're wearing all of the, the hair, the makeup, the wigs, and, uh, you know, I get to embrace that part of me and, you know, be a little more exaggerated or or be a, a little more out there, adventurous, uh, you know, and, and it kind of ties in with the whole sexual side of me because, you know, I'm the hugest flirt you'll ever meet as a guy, but when I'm in drag, honey, it's like 10 times that much. It's, but, you know, so so I enjoyed that part of it. You know, my, my persona in drag has always been a bit provocative and sexual anyway. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, you know, I'm not one of these queens that like wants to be all regal. And, you know, put, I, I want to wear like the slinkiest thing with taste. But, you know, I got curves. And if you're a beautiful woman, even if you're dressing as a woman, why not show off what you have? So, you know, the, the love of it for me is being able to embrace that part of me and and as I said before, paying homage to women because, you know, that I'm I'm much more of a fan of women in terms of just like friends and, you know, having in, in my life the majority of my closest friends are female. You know, sometimes with, with, with queens they could either, you know, there's a little bit of competition there, which I don't believe in competition. I think the planet is big enough for everyone to be fierce and fabulous. So if you're amazing, I'm happy for you. But don't hate a bitch just because she is too.
1: Because that's
2: what some people do.
0: I want not need a shirt that says that. <laughs> yeah. Don't hate a bitch because she is too. Yeah. <laughs> I like that. I love that. And so for our listeners, uh, listen, I'm not going to define this perfectly because there's some terminology people are like, okay, what's the difference between um, you know, a trans woman and someone in drag and someone who's cross dressing too. Um, and so, drag for you, you know, trans a trans woman or trans trans person, transgendered individual, is someone that feels that their gender identity doesn't match the um, the, the what the sex that they were assigned to at birth, um, or the you know the body that, that they might be in. And um, and so, this is a gender identity thing. You know, cross dressing is someone who might like to wear. And I'm not going to say all this perfectly, but cross dressing is someone who might like to wear. Uh, clothing of what is not the gender I'm not going to say this perfectly but it's the gender that they were um, assigned in at birth is then, and yeah. so it's more the, and maybe you can define this and then drag is something more is that's the performance that you take on? Correct. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, because I I mean, I definitely I do it for performance reasons, Mm -hmm. you know, to me it was. And also because, you know, I I come from a theatrical background. So and I was a trained dancer and like all the years that I've done drag, most of the time, all of the shows that I did, I always had backup dancers. So like everything would be staged. You know, I knew the words, you know, there's nothing worse than seeing a drag queen go on stage and they don't even know what the hell they're saying and they're just moving their mouths. That's to me, I don't understand. Mm-hmm. There's some of that out there. I don't know if so much these days, but back then that was a little more prevalent. So for me, it was definitely about performance reasons. And, you know, when you're in drag, what ends up happening is... I would get hit on a lot by straight guys who would then want to take me home. And the whole thing with me was it wasn't, it was never really a sexual thing for me. It was always where, okay, once the show is over, I want to go home and take all this shit off and be the cute gay guy that I am. Mm -hmm. But, you know, I I have had it happen where I've had a couple of clients who met me as James or as my escort name, Bobby. Bobby. Is because Robert is my middle name, so I like yeah. to keep it real. So I was like, I'm going to be Bobby St. James and Fiona St. James, and I'm in drag because then at least the James is my name, the Bobby is my middle name. So I just kept it all a li- little real. And then the whole saint part was just the irony of it all because I'm so not a saint. <laughs> <laughs> and I've always said, if being on my knees makes me religious, I ought to be a saint. So- <laughs> And that's
0: why you sure this says that too. Yeah. Yeah.
2: and that's why I added the saint to my name for that exact reason. But uh, so, so, what I didn't to say before was that the sexual part of me—I mean, I have two really amazing uh, drag sex stories that I could dive into. Now, if you want to hear? Yes,
1: them. yes, that was one of our questions okay. that we wanted to, to ask you.
2: Yeah, so the okay, so the whole top bottom thing. Obviously, I'm a bottom. When I dress as a woman, you treat me like a woman, and a woman usually is not the one doing the fucking because she doesn't have a penis. Mm-hmm. But I had a, an escort client as a as Bobby, who then was like, "You, you're really pretty. Do you ever dress up?" And I just started dressing up, and I was like, "Yeah." So the next time he saw me, he made a very specific that he wanted to see me dressed and drag. So I looked amazing. I had this beautiful dress on, the hair, the makeup, the whole bit. And this man was like six to 200 pounds, built like a shit brick house, beautiful cock, just exactly what I love. You know, I'm like a hunky built man. If you're going to be with me, look like a man for God's sakes. <laughs> and this man looked like this hot man. And then before I knew it, he wanted me to penetrate him. And I was like, huh? Like I was so looking forward to him doing me and lo and behold, I was so turned on by him that that was the first time ever in my life that I was the one who was the top. Mm. So go figure that it took me to dress as a woman to finally play the part of a man with a man, Mm. which I just kind of thought was, ooh, that's a bit ironic. And that doesn't happen very often because you know it's not my natural inclination. So I have to truly be turned on by someone to do that. And this man was exactly what I liked. And, you know, that that kind of holds true with the with a lot of my clients. A lot of them, I'm like, wow, you're like really hot in my opinion. And, you know, because they are the opposite of me. And the opposite of me is what I like sexually. Mm-hmm. So, you know, like I said before, you just got to look at me. And usually if you like me, you're not some bottom looking for a top and thinking that that's what I am.
1: I love how you didn't get stuck in your own story of I'm a bottom. I can't do this. And you took, you like took charge. So really, that's amazing.
2: Well, And part of that also is, you know, the money turns you on. It caught me off guard, but you know, guess if someone turns you on that much, then I'm like, because I'm a little more versatile than I thought. And 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 then the other, like, fun story that I have with drag and escorting is that I've been known for dressing as Marilyn Monroe since I started doing drag, which was uh, 1987, actually. So it's been a number of years. I had this client. It was a referral through a friend who wanted to hire me as Marilyn Monroe. So I went in the seven-year-old dress, went to the Waldorf Astoria, you know. And this man, again, he was, like, hot. Big, nice cock, beautiful body, but he was a bit of a bad drunk, and like nothing happened. I became like his therapist, you know, sat there, and he was like crying because like his wife and his son, and i'm not going to get into that because it was all a little sad, but I was there for him, and uh he kind of like passed out, but paid me my five hundred bucks first, <laughs> so I got, got my money, so there I am in the seven year rich dress, an hour later he like passes out and he So I leave the Waldorf, I come out of the elevator and you know, the Waldorf story has that long ass hallway before you get to the stairs. So I'm there with $500 with my dress the way I was. And I kind of felt that someone was looking at me and I turned back and it was the security guy with the coily thing in his ear. I didn't think anything of it. You know, I stepped, I looked back and the man's walking towards me. All of a sudden I like pick up my pace. He picked up his pace. And all of a sudden I panicked and I started running <laughs> and my four in slingbacks and this man is chasing me down the <laughs> stairs. It's out of the walls of the sure. And I wasn't exactly sure why I was even running. All I know is I jumped into the cab and said, Go! And the cab takes off and hits some red light. And the man literally came running up to the cab. Oh, no. And at that point the light turned green and the cab took off. And I'm such a brazen bitch that the client right before I left said, will you come back tomorrow night dressed the same exact way? (laughs) Which I did. You did. I did because I was like $500 later and this man, Dave was his name. So you get a visual feel. So Dave was hired me like once or twice a month for like the next three, four years like this man, like paid my rent basically and furnished my apartment. Uh, And and the sad part is we never like did anything. I was literally like his therapist. I'd go, we'd order room service. We would talk. He would uh, maybe be kissed a little, but I was like, it's the easiest 500 bucks that I ever made. I almost almost felt a little guilty taking his money because I'm like, we're really not doing anything, but Honey, I'm a lot of things, but I ain't dumb. You
1: were making more than the actual therapists do out there. (laughs) (laughs)
0: Business therapist. Yeah.
2: Yeah. (laughs) I I really was, but you know, it was a it was great but you know being chased out of the Waldorf Astoria I think was one of my proudest yeah. moments.
0: I got chased out of the Waldorf Astoria in my four-inch heels and so but you went back to the Waldorf Astoria again in the same outfit and did you ever see the security guard do you know no what?
2: no thank god okay. but I was on the lookout for him and, and then you like,
1: just heard how great you are yeah and, and like, yeah. he was like wait, wait where are you going wait, I want to hire you too <laughs>
0: Well, and I think as an example of that client too, again, like not everyone's hiring to have sex. You know, it might just be to have an experience of being close to someone when they don't have access to that or it's close to someone where there isn't pressure for them to be a certain way or to show up a certain way or, you know, whatever the reason is. It's it's so dynamic and so diverse um, in terms of how what people are looking for and what they need. So again, I think I love, I love that you highlighted that. I'm sure that your book probably highlights I mean, it's a whole book and I already read, I'm already in 20 something pages and I already heard a number of stories in there, but you kind of have some wild adventures in there, don't you? Yes, I do.
2: And, that, and the ones I've told you so far, are just the ones I've been paid for, the ones where I haven't been paid are probably even a little crazier. <laughs> I mean, I've I've kind of been out there, like I say early on in my book, if if you, if I had to calculate the amount of men that I've been with for free and the amount of men that have paid me. I'd need a small third world nation to raise both their hands mm-hmm. just to have enough fingers to count on cuz it's a big
1: <laughs> well I mean I'm I'm sure like that's that's awesome you wear it proud and I'm sure there's a lot of happy people out there that have had your services And that didn't realize you also have services to offer and didn't pay for it. And they're probably stoked too. They're like, oh, wow, this person really knows what they're doing. Yeah,
2: they're they're lucky. (laughs) Yeah, right.
1: What about, so what about your dating life? Uh, Is it easy for folks that you meet to understand what you do and to accept that? Or is it challenging? Can you talk to us a little bit about that?
2: Yeah, no, it's not easy at all, frankly. I mean, it's a little easier now, but I remember like being in my 20s and when I was like really at the height of like dressing in drag and doing all of these club gigs where like, if I heard one more man say to me, why am I supposed to tell my friends that I'm dating a drag queen? Mm -hmm. And I'm like, no, you tell your friends that you're dating an actor who happens to be an actress who happens to be talented. Mm -hmm. But you know, there's such a stigma that goes with that or like, you know, or the fact that I would get paid, whether it was massage work or escort work, it's like, uh, Everyone loves that about you, but no one wants to date someone who does that mm-hmm. or because, you know, th- there's in their mind, I guess there's a stigma about it. Uh, you know, so in my dating world, I mean, the truth of the matter is I have not had great luck. You know, the longest relationships are usually like six months to a year. Uh, none of them have ever been technically monogamous. Mm-hmm. Uh the, the, I think that's a little harder in the gay world. You know, even the guys that claim that they want to be, when all is said and done, they, they're usually not. Now, the, the irony with me is I when it comes to that, I am a bit old-fashioned when it comes to sex. Uh, I think the man should pay for it. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> no, in, in my dating world, I am old-fashioned where, like, if I meet someone and if I like you, I tend to just have eyes for you. You know, I almost instinctively go to that but you know i can separate the fact that someone is a client and paying me and then someone else i'm actually dating but most guys you know they don't want to date someone who who is in the you know sex worker world or the flip side to that is they get off on that and then i i always get these tops that suddenly because i do that you know, they want to date you and then they want you to be okay with all of their friends having their way with you. Mm, So, and I'm like, well, that's cute too. But like, are they paying me? Because, Mm, so so it's sort of like, so when all is said and done, you know, so long as I look good and there's a bitch out there with money that wants to pay me, even if I don't need the money, I can always think of something to buy. Mm-hmm. So I will take
1: I feel your pain there. There's always something to buy. <laughs> oh, <seasons laughs> change, so I always need the newest thing. Sometimes that's a problem. Amy's helping me with my shopping problem, James.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I always say whoever, whoever says money doesn't buy you happiness doesn't know where to shop
1: yeah and I know it's like, what's wrong with being a billionaire? Nothing, no. <laughs> 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 nothing absolutely nothing is wrong. <laughs>
0: people you know only love you for your money in that case and i mean that definitely i'm
1: looking out you could pay james i'd be like super happy to pay someone that's this free and fun that's, friend. Just have-
0: billions so, yeah that's, that's true you could pay a few and and also there's people like james who are actually good wonderful humans here that i am enjoying his company here but yes money um can make things much easier and especially if you're doing it in an empowered way where you fucking love your job and yeah. love what you're doing and you're doing really good things for people you know you're you're helping people
1: can i also say something that might not be super I, I don't know in line with with what a lot of folks think there's a lot of people out there that that are in in relationships solid marriages that one person doesn't work and and is free of doing anything and gets like it's an allowance it's its own form of sex work and i always think that so it's like you know, you're just out with it and being open and you're like, I'm making money this way. And it's amazing. And some folks are in, in a, a solid partnership, marriage, whatever that looks like. And it's the same thing. it's just wrapped in a different box.
2: I have always said that. I've always said, you know what? Life is one big call and we are all pawns and we're prostitutes in this game we call life because guess what you could sit here and have a monday through friday nine to five and go work for the big white man and he's paying you for your time or you can do what you just said you could be in a marriage and be the the housewife a house husband who technically is not going out and getting paid for what they're doing but you're being supported so nothing in life is free Mm-mm. Least of all me, usually. Nope.
0: Yeah, usually yeah, not you. Yeah, I mean, I would rather rather suck a you know a nice man's dick that I chose as opposed to the man's dick. Okay.
1: So.
2: <laughs> exactly, girl, and I had a tonsillectomy ten years ago just to improve
0: those. <laughs> oh, you did! Nice, maybe well, I was. <laughs> Maybe that's the April's. April's. Yeah. Wait, what's her? You have. Was it TMJ or like? A... I have
1: TMJ. I have a lot. Maybe if I would have done the tonsil removal surgery as they wanted me to, but I'd like I need these tonsils. Or maybe we break your jaw. And just... Yeah. Maybe I could break my jaw, take my tonsils out, and then I could actually deep throat.
2: <laughs> oh, see, I love that. Well, I mean, I was always good at that anyway. But ten years ago, like suddenly in my twenties, I would always get strep throat, uh... Uh, and I call that occupational hazard because that's <laughs> when I. <laughs> <laughs> <It worked. laughs> that was when I was in the height of like really turning a lot of tricks and then but then I was fine for like 20 years but then 10 years ago it started happening again and I was like uh uh-uh, uh I want these shits out and I said to my doctor I need a tonsillectomy and he said why to which I responded I need more headroom. <laughs> <laughs> Did he, did he know what you were talking I was like, about? Oh yeah. I was Cause my doctor's totally gay. And I said, no, seriously, I keep getting stepped out and I had them out like three months ago. And suddenly I'm like, wow, I thought I was good before.
1: Oh yeah. I well, I'm sure you talk about some of these, these fun adventures in your book, but can you tell people where they can buy your book and uh, kind of, because you sent us a copy and I can't wait to read it. It's a memoir of sorts And can you just tell us more about it and where they can? Yeah, yeah.
2: Okay, so being born in the Bronx, and I knew I was gay from the second I was born. I was like picked on, called faggot, bullied, but I was like, "Fuck you." That's not what your mother said last night, or I would say (laughs) your father didn't seem to mind. I always had a comeback for everything because I always get the last words. And oh, fuck with me, fellas. (laughs) (laughs) So I just, uh, you know, I. I was in love for the first time when I was in the first grade. I was in love with my sister's fourth grade teacher. Like, I always knew what I'd like and that I'd like men. So when I was 17, uh, I had an affair with my first cousin I, in Ecuador. You know, his mother and my mother are sisters, and that's the first man I ever kissed, ever did anything with. And I had been basically a depressed virgin leading up to that. So at 17, when that happened, I said, you know what? When you turn 50, you're going to write your memoirs. Because then at that point, I got food poisoning, had an affair with him, lost 25 pounds, and said, you're a fierce queen. Mm-hmm. Write your life story. So since the age of 22, I uh, journalized my life. Every year of my life, I have a hardcover book, and I document everything that happened. Mm-hmm. So And I still do that to date. And, hun, i I'm going on 55. I ain't no spring chicken anymore. <laughs> More like fried chicken, but that's the whole <laughs> But I look good, so who cares? And, <laughs> <laughs> so when I was going on fifty, I actually I had been working retail for twenty five years and I quit my job and I went to Denver and basically like wrote a book report on my life. It was the most therapeutic thing I ever did because I reread my life, you know, year by year. And it took me six months to write the first draft. And The floodgates opened, everything opened up, and I remembered everything. So my book is very graphic. It's very explicit. There's a lot of sex, but it also talks about all of my accomplishments as an actor, uh, as a drag queen, all of the fundraising that I've done. you know, I also speak about the changes that New York City has gone through. Uh, because, you know, I was born in 1965. So like when I started in the club scene in the 80s, none of those clubs even exist anymore. So so to me, what I love about it also is this historical value. You know, not only it is ultimately my life story, but it's also where did my life fit into all of these things that were happening in New York City and, you know, Giuliani turning it into a police state and suddenly, you know, everything shutting down and then suddenly, you know, sex wasn't, as something that you could be as free about or like even like all of the drugs and 42nd Street becoming Disney World. Ugh. Mm-hmm. You know, I miss the good old days when when you had all of that out there. Mm-hmm. So so my book does cover all of that. And, you know, I'm quite proud of it because, you know, it, it's 400 pages <laughs> of my life and it is it is pretty out there. So I've I self-published through Amazon. So you can get it on Amazon. But the better thing to do is to go to my website, Fiona Saint FionaStJames.com, dot com. That way I fill the order and then I get to personalize it and autograph it and mm-hmm. mail it to you the same way that I mailed you guys a copy. And what I love is the envelope because you see how I put all those fucked up, stupid cute little rubber stamp things on it and stars and lips and hot and bitch <laughs> and that. So <laughs> even even the envelope to me is like a piece of work and I have fun just doing you know even just doing that part of it and you know i get a little more of a cut the books not expensive at all i mean i don't think books should be but i i'm quite proud of it and i don't know how many people at 17 said when i'm 50 i'm going to write self publish my memoirs and then for me i actually wrote it and then once i wrote the first half didn't even matter whether i published it or not it was such a sense of accomplishment that i actually did it but then i thought no i want people to read my story and hear what I have to say, because, you know, I, I believe in karma. You know, the underlying theme of my book is keep your karma intact. And so long as you're not harming anyone and you're doing good, and you, everyone is a consenting adult, the universe provides. And I have always gotten what I've wanted. You know, I've been living alone my whole life since the age of 22, never had a roommate, never lived with anyone. Don't think I can. Even if I got a husband, you better either get us a two bedroom or keep your own shit. (laughs) (laughs) Separate. That's the only way it's going to (laughs) last.
1: Oh, James, you are so much fun. I really have, I feel like I have a little blip of what your book would be like just speaking with you today. And it's just an absolute joy. You're so fun and just lighthearted and shameless in so many beautiful ways. So, and
2: then when you read the book, there's a lot of shameless stories. You want to hear one fun, do we have time for one fun sex yes, story? Yes, of course. As a guy? Yes. Okay, good. So I have my top three. So my top three as a guy was in number one was when I went to Australia. I went to Australia back in 97 for about a month. And when I went to Sydney, Australia, they have the the bathhouse, which, honey, I love bathhouses. Who doesn't, right? (laughs) So this boy does. So I went to this bathhouse and I was there for five hours. And in five hours, I had sex with five of the hottest men I think I've ever had sex with in my entire life. Because each one one of these- uh, Yeah, pretty much. So what would happen is like I met that first one and and the way they were set up was like you would go into these rooms that you walked into that were like a big king size mattress bed and you would close the door and then there was like a soap dispenser with lubricant and a little tray with condoms and like the, the first guy was like six feet, 200 pounds, hot as hell and at the time you have to remember, this is back in 97. So I was only like 35, maybe like 20 years ago. This man was so beautiful. And he had his way with me. Like you would not believe 45 minutes later, I was exhilarated. And then I like walked out, went into the shower area because I was like, ah, let me take a shower. And as I'm doing that, I met man number two, (laughs) equally as hot. And that happened pretty much. I spent like 45 minutes with each one. And then when I was like showering for those 10 minutes, I would meet the next guy. By the end of the five hours, I had fucked five of the hottest men. To date, I still think they're probably the five hottest men I've ever had sex with were in we're in Sydney, Australia. So that was between Like I remember it was like five to 10 p.m. and it was like 10 p.m. and I was like, wow, I can't even feel the floor. Like I felt like I was floating and it was the most euphoric state I think I had ever been in, in, in my life, you know? And the, the only other thing that comes, well, I've had a lot of wonderful experiences. The other big thing that happened more recently was in Palm Springs. See, this is why I love traveling. When you travel, shit like that happens. (laughs) But I was in Palm Springs maybe like five, six years ago. And I went to this like big sex party at one of the clothing optional gay houses. And it started like on a Friday night at like midnight. I think I finally stopped at like uh, six o'clock Saturday evening. Like I went at it for like 18 hours and the party had finished at like eight that morning. But, you know, they had slings everywhere and it was... You, you know, just sort of like the, this whole wonderful brotherhood of of guys that were just, you know, if you wanted to be with someone, you were just with them. And at one point, I ended up in a sling. I am no stranger to slings. I'm a smart boy. I love me a sling. Actually, I just bought one that just arrived. It's sitting over there in the corner from Fort Trough.
1: project for you. Yes,
2: yes. But but that particular time in Palm Springs, you know, I did end up in the sling. And it, it's, it's interesting because when you're a bottom, you really are in control. Like, I think so many people think that, oh, if you're a bottom and especially a bottom in a sling, then people do whatever they want. Uh-uh. Mm -hmm. That's not the way it works. The bottom is always in control Mm -hmm. because if you don't want someone to do anything to you or do you, they're not going to. So even being in that vulnerable position with your legs up in the air and spread, you can kind of pick and choose who you want. You know, no one's just going to go up there, at least not when I'm in there. Maybe some guys are like that, but I'm, I'm a little, again, old fashioned that way. I, honey, I love a cock, but I don't, I want to see what it's attached to, you know, don't do me from behind where I can't even see what you look like. It's a bit detached.
1: You need a uh, website page just for all your like hashtag uh, sayings. Yeah, Yeah, get the t-shirt and then honey, but I I think that you have great stories. And I think that folks out there, if you want more juicy James stories, go get his book. No, get it through
2: my website. Get it, com, and that yes. way I can personalize it.
1: And he'll personalize it, just like he did for us. James, thank you so much for talking with Amy and I about all your sexcapades and what you do, and uh, for spending a little bit of your evening with us. We absolutely love you. You're awesome. So.
2: Oh, I love you, gals. And uh, you know, I got such a good vibe from you both at the Sex Expo and Amy, you were great because I walked right up to you and I was with my friend Selena, who was like, This is my friend James. And I was like, Shut up, bitch. I got this. <laughs> well, and, it was- and you gals were wonderful. So thank you for having me on.
1: Thank you, love. And to all of our listeners out there, thank you so much for being part of the shameless sex revolution. We love you so much. Ciao for now.
2: Bye, ladies. Thanks for tuning in, guys and gals. Wow.
0: <laughs>